Corpendium Spotlight. Welcome to another Corpendium Spotlight series. And today, I'm very excited to be talking to some of the biggest names here at MRAP. We've got Mel Herbert and Jessica Mason, and they're going to be talking to us about ST segment elevation in lead AVR, which is one of our newest chapters in Corpendium. So guys, I was always taught throughout residency that you want to keep a close eye on lead AVR because if you have ST segment elevation in AVR greater than ST segment elevation in lead V1, this should be considered a STEMI equivalent and you want to call your cardiologist, maybe activate the cath lab. But recent data is showing us that maybe that's not true. Tell me a little bit more about this. Well, Jesse, the history of this is fascinating because when I was a resident, AVR didn't exist. And then it existed. Well, it didn't exist in our brains. We basically used it to look at P wave axis, you know, upright in lead two, negative in AVR for your P wave, and that's the right axis. But we didn't use it at all to look at whether you had a STEMI or a STEMI equivalent. It just wasn't a thing. Then there was this new literature and people telling us, you know, we've really got to be looking at AVR because it suggests that there's a real proximal lesion. This is really high up and bad, bad, bad. And so that's sort of what we started to do then. So we looked at AVR all the time, constantly just looking at it. And in fact, right now, in the AHA guidelines and the European guidelines, it's considered a STEMI equivalent, particularly when it's associated with ST segment depression in multiple leads. So you have ST segment depression, multiple leads, ST segment elevation in AVR, particularly more than V1, then you call the cath lab and they actually might even just need bypass. So it's like, call the cardiologist, tell them about this. And they might say, okay, don't put them on any platelet agents and stuff because we might actually have to do bypass because it's going to be so proximal. That was the story, and that's in the guidelines right now. But recent literature suggests maybe that's not true. So I throw to Jess Mason. Yeah, thank you, Mel. And I also trained in this era of ST elevation and AVR. Activate the cath lab. And any cardiologist who doesn't want to take the patient to the cath lab is a fool. And you better tell them that they're a fool, that they don't know their own guidelines. Okay, maybe not that aggressive. But as Mel and I were putting together this chapter, I was able to dive deeper into a couple of the papers that are showing that this finding is less commonly associated with an acute occlusion than what was previously thought. Okay, so the first paper just fairly recently published in 2019. I like the title, AVR, ST segment elevation, acute STEMI or not, right? Because that is the question. Yeah. That is the question. Patient comes in, they got some chest pain. We see that elevation in AVR. What do we do? We activate the cath lab. Why do we activate the cath lab? Because we're worried that there's an acute occlusion and that it's a big, bad, like left main occlusion, right? Mm -hmm. So they found in a retrospective review of about 100 patients who had this finding, so ST elevation AVR with multi-lead depressions, this was done at the U of A, they found that only 10% of those patients actually had an acute occlusion, okay? Now, 60% of them had severe coronary disease, but that's different from having an acute occlusion that needs the cath lab right now in this very moment. Then there was another study, another retrospective study. So again, these are retrospective, but it's sort of the only way to do it here. This is actually from 2013. So this is a paper by Knotts et al. Diffuse ST depression with ST elevation and AVR. Is this pattern specific for global ischemia? Okay, so that's the second paper, and we'll link to both these in the show notes. And again, in this paper, so they had about 130 patients that they reviewed these ECGs and then followed to see, well, what was the final diagnosis here? And they found that very often this finding was actually chronic, not an acute problem, but 30% of the time it was chronic. And then their percentages break down a little bit differently. About 15% of the patients had no coronary artery disease at all. 
And then another 20 have some left main narrowing and 5%, only 5% had left main equivalent disease. 20% had three vessel disease. So I think just to kind of put this all into context of what do we do with this information now, I think the, the bottom line here is that AVR elevation with diffuse ST depressions and thinking of that as a STEMI equivalent, this is now being challenged. Do we really have data to support this? Now, it doesn't mean that that patient isn't really sick. I think Mel's going to speak to this a little bit more, but many of these patients are very sick and we have to think about the other things that they could have and not necessarily jump in our minds straight to, oh, this is left main disease and they need PCI or they need a cabbage. Mel, what are some of the other things that we should think about when we see that finding on the ECG? Yeah, it seems that the trend in the literature now, looking at those papers and some other ones, suggests that you should see this as a poor prognostic finding and that it is much more often it's at a sign of global ischemia, like they're septic and they've got no subendocardial perfusion or their heart failure is so bad they can't even perfuse their coronary arteries and they've got coronary artery disease chronically and now it's just sort of manifesting as poor perfusion. So it's a poor prognostic finding. You should be worried about it. Look for other causes of shock treat those causes of shock. And in one of the case series, they look at six cases, and actually none of them had a proximal clot thrombus, but they got a lot better when they fixed the anemia that was three or the shock that was causing the sepsis. And so think about it that way. And certainly I'd still involve cardiology, but now you can say sorry to them, Jess, for screaming at them. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they knew it better than you. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is how hard do we need to advocate for our patients who have this with cardiology? Because I feel like in the past, when I saw a patient coming in who looked like pretty bad, maybe it looked like they were having a STEMI, they had ST elevation in AVR greater than V1. I'm like, this is a STEMI. I'm calling cards. They weren't always convinced. They were like, that's not really a thing. I'm not going to do much about it. And you're like, no, 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 this is a thing in our literature. It's let me show you some stuff. And so now what do we do now that we're like, well, like maybe it's something else? Are we pushing pretty hard and saying, um, are we going into this whole discussion with them about, you know, maybe they need to go to the cath lab, maybe they don't? How hard would you push with cardiology? What I would do now is what we should have been doing before. I would stop and then go look at the patient again. Like, is this a really sick patient? And then I'm going to call cardiology. If uh, the patient doesn't look too bad, as Jess said, a lot of these are chronic. You know, this is a bad finding, but they've had it for two years. And I'd also look at the clinical situation. If they're hypotensive and sick for another reason, I don't need to call cardiology first. I need to resuscitate them first and then repeat the EKG. And then that becomes a more interesting thing. Oh, you may have revealed underlying coronary disease, but they don't need to do something about it right now because you made them better. And I would certainly do serial EKGs. And if they're clutching their chest and sweating and they look like they're having an MI and they've got that EKG, yeah, I'd call cardiology right now. So I really would base it on what does the patient look like? Do I need to intervene first? does this really look like an acute coronary syndrome right now? But I also have to recognize that there are other causes of ST segment elevation in AVRGS. What are some other causes that have nothing to do with your coronary arteries? And we have a table that breaks this down in the chapter. So the first thing we listed is diffuse subendocardial ischemia. That's the thing that we all know about that we're worried about. But the other things, it could be massive PE can cause this. Brugada syndrome, TCA overdose. Now with these, you would see other findings on the ECG. Hopefully that would support that diagnosis. Pericarditis, hyperkalemia, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, a critical aortic stenosis, even a decompensated heart failure. So the list is long and that's why this shouldn't just be an impulse. Oh, AVR elevation, quick, activate the cath lab. This is a STEMI equivalent. It might be, but it might not be. And it is definitely 
a red flag that this is a very sick patient. And in one of the studies that I mentioned, 40% of those patients went on to require mechanical ventilation. They went into respiratory failure. And another 15% of them developed cardiogenic shock. So if nothing else, this is a sign that you have a very sick patient just waving their hand in the air saying, hey, pay attention to me. I'm going to go circle the drain. One more question for you, Jess. When you said that a lot of these are chronic in nature, does that mean that we should see the EKG looking similar on prior EKGs? This is a patient we've seen before in the ED. We pull up their old EKG and they will have the same STL elevation in AVR. If you're lucky that you have a prior ECG, but this is the same problem we have with left bundle branch block, right? And we have the Scarbosa criteria to answer that question. Well, I don't know. Is this new? Is this old? You know, it would be wonderful if uh, Mrs. Jones came in last Tuesday with a similar presentation and I could compare Mrs. Jones's prior ECG and say, oh, no, 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 no. Right. Everyone calm down. It's chronic. It just doesn't happen that way most of the time. We're just not that lucky usually. If Mrs. Jones comes in and she's got diffuse SD segment depression and SD segment elevation and AVR, I would take that EKG and tattoo it to her chest (laughs) so that every doc from down on could go, oh, I see on your chest there that this is an old finding. (laughs) All right. Well, this is great information. I do think this is practice changing, at least for me. So thank you both so much for this update. And everyone should go ahead and read in detail about this on Corpendium. The chapter title is called ST Elevation in lead AVR. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Jess. Can I just say one more thing? Of course. I will send a prize, the prize being a high five, to anyone who can tell me right now, what does AVR stand for? Go, Mel, what does it stand for? Augmented lead right. You're you're so close. (laughs) Jesse, you got this. You got this. Acute (laughs) ventricular regurgitation. I have no idea. Augmented vector right. That's the one. Vector. That's the one. That makes a lot more sense. The more you know. Thanks, Jess. All right, so check it out. ST segment elevation and lead AVR on Corpendium. Out. Out.